Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. When we come together with At Home in Your Hymnal, we are hoping to help people be a little bit more at home in their hymnal. Brilliant idea, isn't it? To uh, be more at home in the divine service, to be more at home with your family or personal devotions at Good Shepherd and throughout the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we use Lutheran Service Book, LSB. This is our 50th episode. We have a lot of things in our archives with regard to the theology of Lutheran worship, certain aspects of the worship service. We did a complete series on uh, the divine service, looking at each individual part in divine service setting one. And for the last several episodes, we've been looking at Lutheran hymnody, hymns every Lutheran should know. That's a little bit of a subjective thing we know. And most recently, we've been looking at Reformation hymns. And you may have, I hope you recognized with our intro, one of the most famous, familiar, popular Reformation hymns, Lord, Keep Us Steadfast in Your Word. This is a hymn that is authored by Martin Luther. It has a rich, rich history. And uh, folks, uh, I was trying to figure out how, how we were going to do an entire program on a hymn that has three very, very short verses. And digging into the history of this hymn, I was absolutely amazed and astounded. And uh, buckle up, buckle up, because this is, uh, I think, in my mind, going to be one of the most fascinating programs with the history, the history behind this hymn, the world history, and how this connects us to the history of uh, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, the history of the United States of America. And believe it or not, this hymn, LSB 655, Lord, Keep Us Steadfast in Your Word, is going to connect us to the Twin Towers and everything that happened on 9-11-2001. Am I building it up too big, Pastor? Well, I just hope we have time to cover all the, those things and to talk about them. So, well, yeah. I'm not I'm not sure how much time we're going to have, uh, and I hope if we can't get into the detail that we would like, I hope that we will at least pique people's curiosity so that they will on their own dig a little bit deeper because this history is absolutely fascinating. I've got shivers up my spine thinking about it, and uh, that's just wild and crazy. So we know that Luther uh, wrote this hymn, and uh, uh you know, Martin Luther, born in 1483, died in 1546, uh, the father of the Reformation. We still bear the name Luther in, uh, in our church, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Um, you know, Luther didn't necessarily want that, and it was a pejorative term by many outside of uh, Lutheranism as well. But uh, all of those things are wonderful. Let me just give you a couple of little uh, tidbits with regard to this hymn, first of all. But um, this is uh, LSB 655. 
in uh, the Lutheran hymnal, the uh, uh, Old Blue hymnal. It's hymn 261, and it's virtually the same hymn, except it's thee and thy instead of you and your. Uh, in Lutheran worship, the predecessor to LSB, it's hymn 334. And in these three hymnals, with the exception of the these and thys, the words are exactly the same. Three very short uh, verses. Now, where where things get really wild and crazy and uh, with the history here is the occasion for this particular hymn. And uh, I want to I want to read just a few sentences, Pastor. And you're you're the history stud. You're, you're the guy who who has all of this and uh, can can bring it home to our hearers. Uh, so I'm reading from the uh, Lutheran Worship Hymnal Companion, page two three fifty two. The occasion for this hymn is undoubtedly attributable to the difficult times for the empire. In August of 1541, King Ferdinand suffered a severe defeat by the Mohammedan Turks at Budapest, a fact that Luther mentions in correspondence the following September and October. In October, a hurricane destroyed the fleet of Emperor Charles V near Algiers, an event to which Luther responded with his uh, admonition to pray against the Turks. In July of 1542, Francis I of France made an alliance with Sultan, and I'm not going to pronounce this very good, I'll do my best. Uh, Suleiman the Magnificent. Suleiman the Magnificent, yes. It's not Gurliman, it's Suleiman. Over against the emperor. Now, did you get that? Francis I makes an alliance with the Sultan, with the Turk. Reports had it that the Pope had sided with this pact. Thus, of all things, Pope and Turk in alliance against Christendom. Okay, Pastor. Teach me and teach our hearers why any of this matters. Well, it all has direct implications for our own history today, and we just have to know that for um, a thousand years or more, actually, uh, there's been conflict between the East and the West, um, specifically between Islam and Christianity. We probably know at least a little bit of it in terms of the um, Crusades that took place uh, around the year 1000, 1100, 1200, um, but it even begins before that as well. Uh, it used to be that the Holy Land, the country that's now Turkey, uh, all that area, Egypt, North Africa, all of that area was Christian. And Islam began in the uh, late 600s in um, um, the area of Saudi Arabia and began to expand into these Christian areas, conquering them uh, by the sword, by military force. And it, it slowly expands all the way into Turkey, uh, where uh, eventually a new set of rulers for Islam came about, the Turks. And the Turks then are always fighting against Europe, and their goal is to kind of be the new Roman Empire and the new Roman leaders. And so to do that, you need to conquer Europe, because that's the heart of the old Roman Empire. And so 
there's constant conflict between uh, the Turks, the Ottoman Turks, and Christianity, where the Turks are always invading, and they keep getting to, like, Vienna and uh, Austria, and that's where they keep on losing their battles. And this is important uh, for the, the time of the Reformation, because Charles V is the Holy Roman Empire uh, ruler, which is essentially Germany. He controls Germany and Spain and the Netherlands, all this area. And his enemy is Francis of France uh, and the Turks, who have got him surrounded. Uh, and so you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. The, the Turks and the French get together to fight Charles, and they have, end up losing in the long run. But this keeps Charles busy long enough that Luther is able to preach and teach and return people to God's word, so that when finally Charles has the opportunity where he's conquered, or not conquered, but defeated the, the Turks and the French, he focuses on Luther and Luther's already dead. The, the church has already become Lutheran. This, uh, this conflict, though, doesn't end. We have the Thirty Years' War that comes later, which is a religious war, uh, mainly fought within the Holy Roman Empire between the Catholics and the Lutherans. And basically what happens is, is the German Empire becomes much, much weaker because it's been fighting a civil war for 30 years within its own borders. And this is then when the Turks uh, see that Germany is much weakened and the Habsburgs aren't able to uh, uh, throw up as big an army as they used to be. And so they invade with an army of 150,000 people. And they, uh, and, they and have, roughly what year is this, Pastor? This is in the 1680s. Okay, this is um, the 1680s. I think the battle is in 1683. Okay, so it's about 130 years after the death of Luther. Go. Yep, and 40 years after after the Thirty Years' War. And so they uh, get together their army, and they invade, and they march all the way to Vienna, Austria. And Vienna uh, is the de facto capital, or at least the main city, in the Habsburg Roman, uh, Holy Roman Empire uh, monarchy. And they're only able to mount a defense with 11,000 soldiers, plus uh, 5,000 more um, uh, supporting troops. So you have 15,000. Give us those numbers again. We have 15,000 people defending the city of Vienna against a massive army of 150,000 that has invaded from Turkey. 10 to 1. 10 to 1 in favor of the, uh, the Ottoman Turks. And they're besieging Vienna, and it looks like they're going to win. The, the um, soldiers within the city of Vienna are losing heart and about to give up. Um, and that's when Poland shows up with an additional army of 27,000 people. They uh, are all mounted, and they're the, the big, bad cav- cavalry um, soldiers. And they're able to get these cannon to the top of this point that uh, uh, is surrounding the city of Vienna and able to fire down directly onto the, the Ottoman Turks. And so they're firing onto the Turks. They also take their soldiers with their cavalry and they ride in and they save the day. Without that invasion by Poland to counter the Turks, we'd all be Muslim today. Islam, there'd be nothing to stop it from conquering all of Europe. Uh, And this battle then is famous because it takes place in September, and the main battle part takes place September 11th, which then leads to why the uh, 
Twin Towers were attacked on September 11th. That's the date that the, the Muslims had lost at the Siege of Vienna, and so it's the date that they have this idea we're going to continue and we're going to finish what we started the first time. And this is a way oversimplification of the history. I encourage you to go and read about it uh, on your own. It's very, very interesting, and, and it all flows out of what Luther is writing this hymn to address, which is this conflict between uh, Islam Ottoman Turks, uh, and Europe, uh, specifically in Charles V. Uh, I don't know about you uh, folks that are listening, but this, to me, this is just absolutely fascinating history. I've never heard this before. Uh, in doing the research on this hymn, I'm looking at these things, and uh, then when I shared all this with uh, Pastor Moline, I mean, the light bulbs are going off, and he's connecting it to 9-11 and the ongoing battle of radical Islam against Christianity today. And, I mean, I've been led to believe that uh, the reason we were attacked is because of immoral capitalism in the United States. But this is indeed a continuation of a holy war, is it not? It really is, and that's uh, something we just need to be aware of and and learn the proper history as Christians, because... Um, Without a knowledge of history, we can't actually understand where we are today, and that also then clouds the direction we're heading for the future also. So um, read about this. There's a, a movie. It's European. The special effects aren't the greatest, uh, but I think it's called The Day of Siege, and it, it even has a little bit of the um, you know spaghetti Western English sort of thing going on, but it's worth watching. Okay, we need to take our first break. I promise we're going to get into verse 1 of LSB 655 when we come back. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. This is at home in your hymnal. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We are looking in this uh, episode 50 at the uh, great hymn, the great Reformation hymn, the great Luther hymn, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word, LSB 655. We spent the uh, first segment getting our... Um, Oh, I don't know, getting our appetite whetted with regard to the history behind this hymn, and we just barely scratched the surface with the history of this hymn. I think many people know that when Luther wrote this hymn, the English translation that we have before us is not an accurate translation of what Luther actually wrote. It has been... Um, softened quite a bit. Luther wrote, Lord, keep us steadfast in thy word. Curb those who would by, oh, by um, murderous, 
Uh, let's see here. Let me get it. Let Pope me get it. Turk. Uh, restrain the murderous Pope and Turk. That is the uh, literal translation of that line. And uh, you can about imagine how that would go over today if we uh, sang a hymn to restrain the murderous Pope and Turk. And the, uh, the history that Pastor Moline shared with us in our first segment helps us understand that there was a literal threat against Christendom by Pope and Turk in military alliance. I've never heard this before. I just assumed that, oh, here's Luther being Luther again. Uh, here's the hi hyperbole about all this stuff that's going on. And lo and behold, when we actually study the history behind this, we see that there was a real reason for the people of God in the church of God to be singing and praying this way. Pastor, I want to I give you an opportunity to comment on what I just said. And at the same time, I want to ask you a question. Why do the vast majority of Christians, why do the vast majority of Lutheran Christians, why do the vast majority of Americans not know this history? Yeah, um, how do you answer that quickly? The, the the reason that we don't know that history is um, our modern education system doesn't teach this history because it can be kind of offensive to think about another group of people as invading and and there being battles and wars, and it's not politically correct to talk about it because we don't want to talk about religion and offend anybody. And uh, I'm not saying that all Muslim people are mean people or anything like that. This is real history that we need to learn. And classically, you would have learned all this, and uh, and I think that's because history is not United States-centered, but here in the United States, we have this idea that we need to be the center of everything, and so we focus mostly on the history we're involved in. You were talking about uh, during the break, you learned about the Great Depression and things like that, um, and you, you know we learn about the Civil War, we learn about the Revolutionary War, but we don't really have have a clue what happened before that besides that there were ancient Greeks and Romans. Um, and so it's important for us to study history and to get into the real history of what actually has happened and to not let things like the, is it the 1619 project or yeah, yeah. Um, 1617 project, yeah, 16, these rewrites of history to try and teach us those things. We need to actually get back to the real history, the first person sources and things like that, because there's a whole lot of history that has led to where we are today. And without knowing that history, we can't understand where we are, and we also don't see the direction that we're headed in the future. And so history is a truly important topic. It's not just boring. It's real people in real places that have caused us to be where we are now. It, uh, it would seem to me, uh, if we are historically honest, it would seem to me pretty significant that the Battle of Vienna's tide was turned on a major battle, and the Turks were defeated, and they went back home with their tails between their legs, and this significant battle happened on September 11, and then the battle is continued on 9-11 when planes are being flown into the Twin Towers. You would think that somebody would make that connection and would would help us see that this is a religious battle in the mind of the um, 
uh, radical extreme Islam uh, folks, and uh, I've been completely clueless to that. And I don't think that's being honest intellectually or historically. I don't think it is either, and I think that the reason is is you know as citizens in the United States, there are good Muslim people, right? We disagree with their theology, we think they're wrong, but there are citizens here, and we want to be respectful of that. We're not saying we should persecute them or throw them in jail. We should pray for them and and pray for their conversion to the true faith, but uh, we we shouldn't treat them poorly because of their religion. Um, at the same time, the radicalized Islamic people do have this idea that there is this war going on between East and West, and that uh, it kind of came to a halt for them on this September 11th outside the walls of Vienna, Austria. Uh, and they want to see that continued and that ultimate fulfillment of uh, their idea that they're going to be the rulers of the world. You, uh, uh, at break, you discovered that the uh the, the movie that you talked about before, The Day of the Siege. Yes. Um, and uh, that's available, what did you say? on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, The Day of the Siege, and this is the Battle of Vienna, 1683. You can uh, just do a little research on that on your own. I think that would be uh, helpful. So let's go back to 1542, and we've got this alliance between Pope and Turk uh, against the Lutherans. In a letter to the pastors in the confines of Wittenberg, Luther urged devout prayers after the sermon, and he frequently stressed the importance of prayers by the children. Such were the conditions that prompted this hymn, the hymn that Luther, of all his hymns, perhaps has enjoyed the widest use. This was written as a children's hymn. He wrote it in 1541 for a special Wittenberg service of prayer against the Turkish threat. Hence, the original line uh, in first verse, restrained the murderous Pope and Turk. Now, uh, do we do we want to say anything more about the history around and surrounding this hymn, Pastor? Well, just uh, remember that uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and that's the idea of France and Islam uh, getting together because they both have enemy in Charles V, who, interestingly, is in a way the enemy of Lutheranism because later on, after he defeats France and uh, uh, the... Uh, uh, Ottomans, he comes in and he conquers Wittenberg and uh, is even encouraged to dig up Luther's body and burn it at the stake. Um, and so it's just interesting the bedfellows that history brings together where Luther is on the side of Charles V against these other enemies, but later on they're going to be conflicted against each other and, and even the Thirty Years' War come out of that. So this is always something you have to remember and you have to give people a little bit of leeway in their history in these things because things aren't as clean and smooth as we would like them to be or as we oftentimes teach in history. It's interesting, too, that uh, Charles V is a <clears throat> pretty young man at the uh, reading of the Augsburg Confession, and he grows and matures and uh, listens less and less to his advisors and forms more and more of his own personal opinions. And so we see the maturing, uh, good and bad, of Charles V play out through all of this as well. Pastor, uh, LSB 655, would you read the words, first verse, in LSB? Lord, keep us steadfast in your word 
curb those who by deceit or sword, would wrest the kingdom from your son and bring to naught all he has done. Okay, so we've got... Um We've got this first verse, and the the verses are set up. Uh, verse 1, God the Father. Verse 2, God the Son. Verse 3, God the Holy Spirit. So we've got a little bit, uh, at least loosely, of a um, Apostles' Creed kind of a format or layout of this hymn. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Why? What's the, what's the reference? What's the importance? Why are we praying to God or singing to God this prayer that we would stay or remain steadfast in his word? Well, that's the thing in which everything else hinges and matters, right? So if, if the army, because there's not certainty about who's going to win this battle between France and Germany, between uh, the Ottomans and Germany, it's, it's very likely, at least it looks probable, that the, the Muslim army and the French army are going to defeat Charles in this uh, conflict. And so there's uncertainty about who's going to win. And if the enemy wins, you need to be steadfast in the word because that means you might die. You might be enslaved. You might be taken away from your home. You might be pressured to change your religion. And what's the thing that's going to keep you strong in the face of that? Faith through God's word that looks to Jesus Christ. Um, or if you do die, what's your only hope? Faith through the word that looks to Jesus Christ. And so the prayer here is that we stay steadfast in the faith, even if everything in the world looks like it's going to collapse and fall apart around us, and we might even die, that we be remaining in the faith so that on the last day we receive the crown of life and are resurrected to live in a perfect world forever. This uh, word that is uh, capitalized here in the first line of the first stanza uh, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Is this the Bible uh, that is referenced here? Or is it, you know, as we've talked before, the, the word made flesh Jesus, the word, in script, uh, the word attached to bread and wine and water in the sacraments? Is this a specific reference to the Bible, the strength that we get from the word of God? I don't think we can ever divide those things up. We have to understand that they're they're all connected and united in the person of Jesus. And so when we read the scripture, the words on the page, it's bringing us Jesus. Uh, he's actually present there through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so um, I, I wouldn't try and pit them against each other, but uh, through God's amazing power, acknowledge that all those things are true. No, and I, I loved how you say that, how we're not going to pit one against the other, because when you're focusing on the Bible, the Word of God, that brings Jesus, it connects us to the sacraments, and you can say the same thing about the focus on the incarnation that leads us to the Bible and to the sacraments. All, all of that is connected. The uh, biblical reference in TLH is to Romans 8.31. There are several biblical references listed in uh, LSB, including Romans 8.31. And on Reformation, the celebration that we have in the church, we read these words from John chapter 8, starting with verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Abiding in my word. Keep us steadfast in your word. This is where this hymn comes from. And then uh, I can't read verse 31 without very 
verse 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is the foundation of the Christian faith. This is the foundation of our hope in the midst of difficult times. And this is why the Reformation actually took place, to get us back to the Word of God. We've got to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue looking at LSB 655. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Aline. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. This is episode 50. We're looking at hymns every Lutheran should know. More specifically, we're looking at Reformation hymns. Even more specifically than that, we're looking at Luther hymns. And we have parked the car at LSB 655. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. An amazing hymn with an even more amazing history behind the hymn. I hope in our first two segments we've uh, piqued your curiosity. We've tapped into the uh, historical expertise of Pastor Moline. And uh, if you have any questions of him, uh, shoot him an email or grab him on Sunday or Wednesday after church. I'm sure you will uh, make his day by asking him some questions about the history Uh, not only around this hymn, but uh, anything with regard to church history. We have been looking at stanza one, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Curb those who buy deceit or sword. Now, we've spent a lot of time talking about how originally this was uh, restrain the murderous Pope and Turk. It's been softened and, you know, probably to be a little more politically correct and in the culture and milieu that we're in today, that's not a bad thing. But uh, do you think that that is a fair representation, Pastor? Uh, curb those who buy deceit or sword. What do you, what do you think of that? Well, I think it is. Uh, I mean, it, it's softer, definitely, and it's more politically correct for today, definitely. And yet, it still carries the same idea. The idea that um, the Turks, they were invading with the sword, and that's how they had conquered Turkey. That's how they had conquered uh, the Holy Land. That's how they had conquered Egypt. That's how they had conquered Saudi Arabia and all these places throughout the history of Islam. They always are conquering by the front of the sword, by military force. And then the same idea when we're talking about deceit when we undermine God's word and we add additional doctrines or teachings or things that scripture doesn't support we are using deceit to undermine Jesus and that's the idea that was held about the Catholic Church at that time and we can get into a discussion about that I suppose even today uh, but the uh, the false teachings that are there that's the same issue okay I I think it's as fair as you can possibly get and to the best of my knowledge that change was made by Catherine Winkworth who uh, translated many, many, many hymns into the English language, and we can be uh, thankful for her, uh, for her work and her uh, gifts as well. 
So curb those who by deceit or sword would wrest the kingdom from your son. What kingdom are we talking about? And who is this son that is being referenced in stanza one? Well, the word kingdom there means lots of things. Immediately, it means the Holy Roman Empire that Luther is living in, and so he is concerned about the uh, state of his country. It also means the Christian kingdom, the uh, and not necessarily the heavenly one, the invisible one, but rather the visible church on earth as a kingdom, uh, the one that worships Jesus truly and faithfully. And so all these ideas are being carried with those words. And when we no longer have faith in Jesus and in his word, those kingdoms are essentially overthrown, and that's what Luther's worried about. You know, sometimes in our, our study of Christian doctrine, even on the most basic catechetical level, we talk about the threefold kingdom, the kingdom of power, the kingdom of, uh, the kingdom of power, the kingdom of grace, and the kingdom of glory. Power, grace, glory and glory. And I think that's helpful, uh, even though I stumbled on it, I think that's helpful for us to unpack this kind of a thing as well. God exerts his kingdom of power over all people. Uh, he gives He gives food to the righteous and the unrighteous. The kingdom of grace is the Christian church, where God rules by his word. And the kingdom of glory is when a Christian dies and uh, receives that crown of everlasting life in heaven. And God rules over all three of those, but he rules over them in different ways. Uh and then, you know, then there's the left-hand kingdom and the right-hand kingdom that we sometimes talk about mm -hmm. in uh, our study of theology as well. Again, making the distinction between the things of this earth and the things that are in the church. So um, all of that is, is uh, uh, contained in that one little word. And I just love, as we've been studying these hymns, Pastor, how a brilliant and talented hymn writer can use words and phrases that are like a little flower that blossoms and grows and expands and can take you into all kinds of things. And that's a gift. There's, there's no other way to say it. Yeah, and uh, a gift that uh, not everybody has, which we ought then thank God for the people who are smart enough to use those words correctly and bring them to us. So the uh, the last line of stanza one, uh, you know, where it says, uh, would wrest the kingdom from your son and bring to naught all he has done. Now, I tell, I tell the confirmation kids, when you see the word naught, just insert the word nothing. And you'll yep. know exactly what it means. So, and bring to nothing all he has done. Now, how is this, Pastor, a reference to the fact that everything in the world is a creation and a gift of God, and that we are to enjoy and receive, but we really don't create or accomplish anything apart from God's will? 
Well, that's exactly the truth. Um, God created the world to take care of us as a gift for us, to provide for us. He gives us all sorts of gifts all the time. If you read the creation account, he gives and gives and gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. And when we deny God and his word and don't look to Jesus, um, all the gifts that God is giving really are coming to nothing for us in our life when we're apart from the faith. When we die apart from Jesus and uh, inherit hell instead of heaven, um, the things God has given us have have kind of, in a sense, been wasted on us in that regard, and it's uh, something we ought to be aware of and watch out for so that we actually do inherit his gifts and give thanks to him as a result. It is uh, interesting as well that Luther places such great emphasis on the gift-giving nature of God in his explanation to the first article of the Apostles' Creed in his explanation to the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, this list of the gifts that God gives us can't be completed. It just goes on and on and on, etc. and the like. Uh, body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members. We, uh, we have in our, our prayers where God has given us good government, a good and faithful spouse, uh, it just goes on and on and on. And I think sometimes we don't emphasize the first article nature of God and the gift-giving nature of God because we just take credit ourselves for all the stuff we have. And we take, but we don't give credit to the giver. And that is to our shame. There are several Bible references that are listed uh, in addition to John 8.31 that I read earlier. Um, and uh, the one that kind of was striking to me was Psalm 119, 5 to 10. 119, 5 to 10. So I'm going to read these words, Pastor, and I want you to uh, give me your comment on how this fits in to this particular hymn. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Pastor, your thoughts. Well, that's the truth, right? The Holy Spirit is always, always, always attached to God's Word and then uses that Word to call, gather, enlighten, and sanctify the entire church on earth and to keep it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. And so when we're praying these words from Psalm 119, we're really saying the same thing we say in the Catechism, and we're acknowledging that God keeps us Christians by hearing the Word, which is why it's so important for us to be in church on a regular basis. The goal of what we would call the unholy trinity, the devil, the world, and our flesh. And he uses means in this world, uh, like the means of deceit and the means of sword. He is constantly attacking the truth, constantly attacking Christ, constantly attacking the Christian church. And I think we need to remember that the church is always the church at war. Now, to the outside world, it may look like the church is at war with itself uh, because we're sinful human beings and we tend to major in the minors that way. But we are constantly the church militant. Pastor, what does it mean that the church is the church militant? 
It means that we're always under attack here in this world and that we always need to be on our guard and maybe even the counteroffensive by using God's word properly. And, and Paul talks about this, putting on the whole armor of God and all that business. And so uh, that's the whole idea there as well. In uh, stanza two, we move, in a sense, to the second article of the creed. Pastor, you want to read those, those words from stanza two? Lord Jesus Christ, your power make known, for you are Lord of lords alone. Defend your holy church that we may sing your praise eternally. Okay, so we have Jesus mentioned here. He's certainly referred to in stanza one. But Lord Jesus Christ, your power make known. How is the power of Jesus Christ revealed, epiphanied, or made known in the world? Well, uh, there's a lot we could say. It's made known initially in the sense that he is able to perform miracles at the speaking of his word, raise the dead, uh, walk on water, heal the blind and the lame and the sick and whatnot. Uh, and that's fulfillment of the book of Isaiah. It's also especially and most clearly made known as he uh, does not use his power and is crucified and killed on Calvary, Calvary um, on uh, Good Friday. And as he raises from the dead, again, glorious and victorious. And now to us today, it's made known through the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments by which we are made into Christians. It is, uh, it is amazing that that, again, is one of those power-packed phrases that expands into the entire person and work of Jesus Christ, beginning in the fact that uh, he is the um, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Logos, who has taken on flesh and blood, all the way down to the proclamation of the gospel, making Jesus known for forgiveness, life, and salvation. That is just absolutely stunning and amazing to me. Now, as we go into our second break, or our, our final break, I'm sorry, as we go into our final break, let's listen to stanza, three, uh, stanza two, of LSB 655. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We're looking at LSB 655, Lord, Keep Us Steadfast in Your Word. This is episode 50. Check out our archives for lots and lots of other programming and uh, for the previous segments or episodes of At Home in Your Hymnal when we're looking at hymns every Lutheran should know. We've uh, 
spent quite a little time looking at stanza two. We heard it going out of our break. We heard it coming back in as well. Lord Jesus Christ, your power make known, for you are Lord of lords alone. This uh, next little part, Pastor, I want to spend a little more time on. Defend your holy church that we. Defend your holy church. How does Jesus defend his church? The same way a husband defends his wife, he gives his life in place of her so that she may be safe and uh, washed and beautified. And this is perhaps best explained in the book of Ephesians, Um, but uh, it's just a truly amazing thing that by giving up his life, we are set free and safe and uh, rescued unto God. It is, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned Ephesians. Ephesians 4 is one of the uh, references that is listed in uh, LSB with the Bible passages as well. Uh, God does not, you know, create the world and then sit back and let it go. He's active in preservation. Christ does not die, rise from the dead and ascend into heaven and then ignore us and leave us on our own as well. He protects us. He defends us. He guards us from all evil. He sends his holy angels to protect us. We have his word. We have the holy Christian church. We have the sacraments. He is continually giving and protecting. He's even at the right hand of God interceding for us. All of these things are packed into that. For all which it is my duty to thank and to praise, serve and obey him, that we may sing your praise eternally. I think that's beautifully crafted there. Pastor, uh, stanza three, would you share that please? O comforter of priceless worth, send peace and unity on earth, support us in our final strife, and lead us out of death to life. O comforter of priceless worth, are we talking about a nice thick blanket on a uh, warm or on a cold December night? What is this comforter talk? That's what we like at my house when I don't turn the heat on in the winter. But uh, <laughs> no, uh, we're talking yeah. here uh, primarily about the Holy Spirit. And perhaps this is brought out in, uh, for example, the um, the words of Jesus at the end of the book of John, John 14 and 15 and places like that, where he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another help for, helper uh, to be with you forever. I will send a comforter uh, to sustain you, those sorts of things. The uh, reference to Ephesians 4 Um, and we have all kinds of Ephesian stuff. Uh, The image and uh, the connections here are amazing. But early on in Ephesians 4, and that's the references here, we have this one, 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 one emphasis, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. Send peace and unity on earth. How is this peace and unity a specific work and fruit of the Holy Spirit in the church. Well, uh, that is the one thing that unites us. It's the one thing that can grant us peace, peace that this world cannot understand. We need to be in the Word to receive those gifts of God, and the Holy Spirit, through the Word, works these things in us. And as a pastor, you see that a lot of times when you're actually ministering to someone and caring for them, and you give them a part of God's Word, and you see that peace just come over them. Uh, It's a great great blessing to be able to do that uh, for your members. And uh, if you're a member of a church, take advantage of those things, especially confession and absolution uh, that uh, brings that peace to us. The peace of the Lord be with you. Are there more, um, oh golly, uh, the, the word escapes me right now, but words that we take for granted, 
uh, in the church. I think uh, that real peace, that true peace that the Holy Spirit brings by connecting us to Jesus is something that all of us need. Uh, The last part then of stanza three, support us in our final strife and lead us out of death to life. Now, there's one way to look at this if you're on the military battlefield going into battle, uh, like when this hymn was was, uh, originally written. And there's another way to look at this uh, for the average everyday Christian today, and yet at the same time, they're exactly the same. What am I talking about here, Pastor? Well, obviously, the military aspect, there's a chance you're going to die in battle. But in the everyday Christian life, the final strife would be your your death, your pending death. And, um, you know, in the ancient world, in the historical world, uh, that's not usually a quick process, you know. Um, maybe they didn't eat as much bacon as we do, so heart attacks and things weren't as common. Uh, but what is common is that uh, some sort of sickness puts you into a bed for a week or more, and you slowly succumb to that illness and die. Um, but as you are going through that, you hear God's word, you keep your eyes focused on Christ, and uh, and he and his word rescue you out of death into life. And that's the promise that Jesus even gives. Uh, for example, I think in John chapter 10, um, as well as in other places also. It is, uh, it is amazing and something that I've learned uh, and grown in as a pastor over these many years is that to be able to transfer someone from the church on earth to the church in heaven is the ultimate goal of the church. Let's listen to stanza three. In the same way that Jesus went from death to life, Good Friday to Easter, that is the action that happens when a person is baptized into Christ, connected to Good Friday and Easter, where we have uh, Romans 6 coming to life for us, and at the end of our life we pass through death in Christ to life everlasting with him. What a uh, what a beautiful way to end this hymn. Pastor, um, we, we've talked a lot about the history behind this hymn. We've analyzed these three short verses. We haven't talked at all about Luther and Luther as a hymn writer, Luther's emphasis on music. Hopefully we'll get a chance to do that next time because in episode 51, we plan to examine A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I, th- I think it's it's good that we don't talk about Luther. Uh, I love this quote from the Margrave of, Margrave of Brand Brandenburg, who, uh, when he was accused of being a Lutheran, he responded this way, I'm not baptized unto Dr. Luther. He's not my God and Savior. I do not believe in him and will not be saved through him. Therefore, in this sense, I am not Lutheran. When I am asked, however, whether I confess with heart and mouth the doctrine which God has again given to me through his instrument, Dr. Luther, then I do not hesitate, nor am I timid to call myself Lutheran. And in this sense, I am, and may I remain a Lutheran all my life. That is awesome. 
That is awesome, Pastor, and I think that's a great reminder for all of us. Too often the Reformation can turn into nothing more than a history lesson or you know some kind of hero worship, and that's not what we want. Uh, uh, in our time left in this segment, let's, uh, let's go through the uh, Wolf Mueller hymn cruncher like we uh, always do with these hymns. Uh, number one, is Jesus mentioned? Yes, both in name and concept. Uh, is the song clear? Yes, very much so. Uh, mysticism uh, is the song about the things that God has done or my own emotions and experience. It's definitely about the things God is doing. It doesn't uh, disavow our experience, but it is about his working and uh, a prayer for him to continue to do so. Does the song proclaim the law in its sternness and the gospel in its sweetness? I would say yes. Is there any explicit false teaching? No. Okay. Uh, that was quick. Um <clears throat> And it's always wonderful when we can go through the hymn cruncher quick because we're not debating, oh, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, so uh, it uh, it has passed with flying colors through the uh, Wolf Mueller hymn cruncher. Now, I know you've mentioned that according to Wikipedia, this hymn uh, maybe had five verses at one time or seven verses at another time. Um, for a variety of reasons, we have the three verses that are here. So give me the uh, Pastor Moline uh, rating 1 through 10 on Lord, Keep Us Steadfast in Your Word, LSB 655. I think I'd probably give this one a 9.5, and, and, and it's really great, and it's one that you should teach your family because it's simple and it's easy to sing. Uh, we had all of our Sunday school kids up in North Dakota had this hymn memorized, and they sang it every year uh, at church, usually at Reformation, because it is so easy for them to memorize, and yet it does carry a rich theology, and it brings the faith and focus to Jesus Christ to the people easily and clearly, and so I think it's one that you should learn. Easy and simple, because it was written as a children's hymn. And uh, I think that's wise to uh, encourage people to memorize this, to pass this on to their children. We also have a couple of other hymns in our hymnal that are uh, based on this tune. So once you know this tune, uh, you're, you have access to several other hymns as well. Uh, I'm, I, I hate to do this, but I'm, I'm going to agree with you, Pastor. I'm going to give it a nine and a half. And the only reason I'm going to say nine and a half is I wish there were ten more verses just like this that would expand and unfold the person and work of Christ, the mystery of the Holy Trinity, even more. And so there you go. It, it leaves you wanting more. And maybe that's the, I mean, that, that can be the mark of a good sermon. And uh, maybe that's the uh, the mark of a good hymn, too. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think uh, more than the mark of a good sermon or a, a good hymn or even a good preacher, I think it's probably the mark of the work of the Holy Spirit through God's Word. Uh, and when we receive such tremendous gift, you can't help but want more. It's the same way the kids are in the ice cream store. When you get the first scoop and they eat it, of course they want more because it was such a great thing. And the same is true for God's Word. And God's Word will never give you a bellyache. The uh, The last Bible reference that's listed in LSB is Second John 9. Nine. I'm pretty sure you're not familiar with this verse, but just like this hymn, you should be. Second John 9 says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father 
and the Son. Pastor, I'm going to give you the last word on this hymn and on that verse. Well, this is definitely, um, with no doubts, a Lutheran hymn that is great and one that you should know. Take the time to learn it, sing it, repeat it over and over again, uh, teach it to your family, your kids, your grandkids, and all the rest. Okay. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, This is episode 50 of At Home in Your Hymnal. Next time we come back, we're going to be looking at the uh, great Luther hymn, the great Reformation hymn, the great hymn period, Ein Feste Burg ist unser Gott, a mighty fortress is our God. God's richest blessings in Christ, and we pray that God would richly bless you as you hear, believe, and sing His Word.